Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, wherever in the world you're listening to us. I always appreciate it. Always appreciate you guys spreading the word and getting this podcast out to others. It's really, really cool to see the listenership continue to grow. So thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode. And for those of you who love defense, those of you who love X's and O's, you're definitely going to love this episode. Uh, defense is one of the things I love talking about and I love listening about. So I'm particularly excited as well. So today we're, we're kind of really getting into a specific type of uh, defensive scheme. We're going to specifically talk about the 2-1-2 uh, full court zone trap and all the different options out of it and all the different ways you can set it up and all the different things involving it. So this is going to be really exciting for me personally to kind of talk about. And then for you guys listening, hopefully you'll pick up something from this as well. So this should be great. And my guest to talk about this, who's really passionate about it and really excited to talk about it is Coach Jason Tucker. Coach, how are you today? Doing great, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for spending some time talking about this. So this this would be a good one. So coach, let's go ahead and get started with your journey. Where's the game of basketball taking you? And where's your coaching journey taking you? And where are you at right now? Well, man, so I'll just kind of start from the beginning. You know, I was obviously a very passionate basketball fan growing up um, just on the outside outside skirts of Chicago. Um, growing up, you know, I'm 36, growing up and watching the Bulls play, you know, when we were winning championships, you know, consecutively over those years. You know, I was young, but I was, wasn't young enough where I, I still understood absolutely everything that was going on. So mm -hmm. I fell in love then about five years old. I just, you know, I fell in love with the game and you know, just uh, played all throughout my life. And, uh, you know, after that, uh, grew up in Maywood, Illinois, uh, which is another really passionate basketball town. Um, a lot of great talent that has come out of that town, like uh, Doc Rivers, Shannon Brown, D Brown, Michael Finley. Um, so you're pretty much bred to play basketball when you grow up in that area. And um, unfortunately, I was not able to go to that high school Proviso East, but I was all, I was able to go to Elmwood Park High School, which was a local school about 10 minutes away and played uh, three years of varsity basketball there, was a two-time all-conference player, one-time all-area player, um, and then was fortunate enough to uh, go play, get a scholarship to play at William Penn University in Iowa. Um, did not finish my years there. I got really homesick, uh, went to play my last three years at Concordia, Chicago. I'm a big Chicago boy, so I wanted to come back home. Um, Loved it there. Um, I really loved my final year of playing. We did, we got a new coach, and that guy just really drove the passion of basketball beyond his name was uh, Coach Tyler Jones. He was a uh, you know coach in the CBA, coached uh, a couple NBA players, and then now is the assistant coach at Aurora University. And uh, he really brought out the love more in my life, and and really brought out how much I wanted to coach basketball mm. after college. And um, so I went on to be an assistant coach first at Montini Catholic. Um, right out of college. So I think in 2008. So I was an assistant there for a year. So just kind of getting my feet wet as a varsity assistant. And then I um, took a job the next following year as an assistant coach at a really small private school in Chicago named Luther North College Prep. So I was the sophomore head coach that year. And, um, you know, it was a it was a struggle because it was not we were not a very talented group of guys at the time. And um, yeah, it was 
I can tell you a story about how I, I lost the game five on two, and I'll love to share that with you. And that's <laughs> something that I always love to share with people because it's like one of the most mind-blowing things in the world. So yeah, we lost the game five <laughs> on two. Yeah, it was it was bad in an overtime. Uh, so then um, I took the head coaching job there the following year because the varsity coach stepped down. So in 2010, at the age of uh, 24 years old, I was thrown in to be a head basketball coach. And obviously I was very excited, um, but also thought I knew more than what I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also very passionate. And, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm someone that just really works his butt off with everything I do. It's just how I feel. If you want to be great at something, that's what you got to do on a daily basis. So uh, my first two years there, we struggled. Um, but then we brought in the right amount of kids that really love the game of basketball. And um, in the matter of, you know, three years, we started having, you know, winning seasons. And uh, in 2015, we won our first regional title at the school, I think in about, I think it was about 15 years. And we were 20, uh, 25, and, uh, 25 and seven that year, made it to the sectional final, um, lost on a buzzer beater at the end, and, uh, you know, made it to the first Sweet 16 in the school's history. And those boys that I, that I had that year, those kids are, all my kids are like family to me, but those boys are like sons to me. I we talk on a regular basis. And so we continue to have a great, you know, great couple years. We were, you know, averaging 20 wins a season for four straight years. Um, and then 2017, unfortunately, our school closed. Mm-hmm. And I'll get to my story about the 2017 season at the end. I know you, you, you have a question for me. Um, but yeah, we, we had a 20 win season that year and our season had to end and the school closed. So in 2018, I took the head job at a small CPS school on the north side called Sullivan High School in Rogers Park. And uh, I had a lot of great opportunities from a lot of great programs to be an assistant coach. And I told myself, I really want to gamble on myself. I, I know I can do this job and I know I can do it well. So I took that job. It wasn't really, a, you know, at the time, a very great job to take, but I wanted to do it. Um, it was probably the most rewarding year of my life. We had a winning season, their first one in 20 years, and we won a conference championship to move them up from the blue to the white. And now that's not a big deal when you think about it, but our program, that was huge for our program. Yeah. Um, and then there was some situations, you know, my mother got in an accident where um, she went partially paralyzed that year. And um, driving from Elmhurst, Illinois to Rogers Park, and my mother was living with me and my wife, and she still mm-hmm. does to this day, we take care of her. Um, was just tough. It was an hour there, an hour back home. And then um, Taft opened. The head basketball coaching job position opened at Taft High School in Chicago. And honestly, that was always been a dream job of me. Mm-hmm. I wanted that job when it opened up like three years prior. I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I was determined to get it this time. Um, and I got it. And, yeah. you know, our first year was a real struggle. Uh, last year was our second year. And uh, we won 20 games last year. And had some really good moments, almost really close to knocking down some really good ranked teams in the Chicagoland area. And uh, was really revved up about this year. But, you know, our current state right now, it is sure, what sure. it is. And we, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to keep working hard and get better. So that's where I'm at currently now. Yeah, no, no, that, that's awesome. And it's, it's all these different little stops and all these different things along the way. But uh, Chicago and the Chicagoland area has definitely tethered you. <laughs> you, you mentioned it being a Chicago person uh, through and through. You can kind of Absolutely. tell it right there. That That's great. And yes, I will definitely uh, come back to a couple of the uh, story topics that you mentioned, because I am curious about those. And speaking of the uh, the Chicago part, I, I, I know I've, I've interviewed other guests who are NBA fans and they, and they like the NBA, but 
especially you, if I were to look at your Twitter, like you're, you're all in, uh, especially on the Bulls. Again, Chicago product. Uh, so you love the NBA. I know you love, love the Bulls specifically. And I think it's always interesting to hear coaches who talk about what value they get out of watching anything in the NBA in terms of what they can use and apply to their own programs. Because we know that the level of players and the style of play in the NBA is going to be a lot different in some ways than it would even in a high school level. So I'm curious for you specifically, like when you're watching the NBA, when you're watching your Bulls, are, are you watching it more just, just as a fan who enjoys basketball? Are there things that you look to sort of take from those games? You're like, oh, maybe I can use that. I'm, I'm just curious how you watch watch your Bulls. How does that go for you? Yeah, I say I do it both ways. I mean, as you can see, I mean, I know our listeners probably can't see it, but my background is all Chicago Bulls. Yep. My is a diehard man cave. It's insane. Um, so I am a diehard Bulls fan through and through, through the rough times in the early 2000s. Now there have been some rough years. But, uh, yeah, you know, I do. I, I, I look at it both ways. There's definitely times where I'm sitting here in my basement watching the game and I see a great, you know, DHO or I see a great, you know, Princeton set or – you know, a sideline on a bounce set. And, and I will still, I definitely will steal those. Um, you know, and I try to keep it simple as much as I can with my guys right now. And, and then we continue to build. But, mm -hmm. you know, with, with with the Bulls situation, it's just, to me, it's been awesome to see the growth they've made just under, you know, 12 games right now with Billy Donovan. Because I really didn't think that, uh, I really didn't think Coach Bullen was a bad coach. I, and I know people might dog me for that. I, I think he ran some great stuff. What he did wrong, in my opinion, and I'm, a, I'm just a high school guy, is I think that he had guys in wrong situations left and right. And I think what we're seeing this year um, with Billy Donovan is he's literally putting these guys in, in the correct situations. And if you look at their, their offensive numbers, I think their offensive rating last year was like 105 something, and that was like 29th in the league. And now the Bulls are currently a top 10 offense in the league, I think at like 111, 112. So it, it's been really great to see the offensive part of them get better. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm just an NBA fan. I, I do love college basketball, too. I don't want to take that away from, from that. But, um, you know, if you're seeing the best athletes and the best basketball players in the world play sure. um, every single night. So, yeah, I do definitely take a few things from them. I, I, I do uh, analyze them as, as much as I can. But at the same time, I love just being a fan. I'm a season ticket holder. So when I go... I enjoy it just to, when I'm at the game, I enjoy it. I don't really break it down, but at home, sure. I will break it down. Sure. And yeah, no, I, th I think that's an interesting point that does even apply to, to high school coaches is you might see, or you yourself as a coach, I'm sure I've done this too, where I've, I've had what I thought were like good sets or good, you know, schemes, but I had my players in the wrong situation and it didn't work out, work out at all. And so you kind of bring up a good point that, schematically you might see something that that looks really good but in execution it doesn't work right but then you're like well if I put you know these players in different positions or if somebody else inbounding the ball or somebody else catching it first like oh this could this could work really well and so that's a good point too is that you know sometimes there's a difference between like schemes and execution depending on who you have on the court if that makes sense oh absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely and I mean and, and like I said nobody's perfect right like we've sure, all been sure. in situations where we think we have the best set in the world like you said and it is it could be you know but you might have a kid who can't drive left going left and you're thinking <laughs> in your head why did I just do that sure. so yeah yeah I've, I've been there and I'm sure I'll be there more in the future wondering when <laughs> I'm looking at my own film like wait why did I do this but uh, it is what it is well, well speaking of growth. that is That's growth. growth that is very true well speaking of, speaking of uh, all, all these things 
let's go right into uh, this two-on-two, this full-court zone trap, which I'm sure there's been some trial and error with you in that as well. So I'm sure we'll get into that. So let's kind of walk through with the, this two-on-two. Um, why? Like, why is this something that, that you're very passionate about? What do you like about it? How does it get the results that you're looking for? So it's so crazy because in all the years that I've been doing this now, and it's been, this would have been my 11th year as a head coach if we were playing this year. Mm -hmm. I actually have only seen one other guy, one other coach run it. And, and I think the reason why is the reason I love it so much is it's unique because you don't mm -hmm. see it very often. And uh, we've been in some situations where, you know, I've gotten lucky where, you know, teams haven't scouted us and we're running it and they may have been more talented than us. And they're just they're discombobulated the whole game because they don't know what's going on. So that to me is one of the most important things that I love about it is, is a lot of people don't run it. And how we run it, it may seem very common sense-like, but it's not. Um, and there's so many different things that we can do in the, in the half court after we run it in the full court. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to definitely we'll get into that with you. But um, yeah, so how we run this thing is, and I know visually it's going to be hard, but I'm putting up my board here so you can see. So obviously you got your inbounders. We got our X's here. We're always lined up near the free throw line here mm -hmm. to start off. And, and it all depends on situational uh, things, how we're going to actually run this too. But we have a guy at half court, okay? And we have our two guys in the back court. Now our top two guys extended from the free throw line, they're probably about 15, 20 feet away from each other here. All right, these have to be, in my opinion, our quickest guys laterally as much as mm. they possibly can. Sure. And as soon as the ball, whatever formation you give, so let's just say you go that basic formation where somebody lines up at the block and in the free throw line, they screen for each other. Automatically teams do this all the time instead of realizing, hey, all you got to do is pop out to get the ball in against this thing. So let's say they pop it out here and this guy goes back middle. We're trying right away with the ball side top to force that sideline as much as we can. So we're applying mm -hmm. pressure right away. And when this is happening, opposite, uh, the opposite wing in this is going always, we always say go below the ball. You're always below the ball. So he's kind of filling down. And that middle guy, who is basically, in my opinion, like a safety in this, in, in this, in this defense, mm -hmm. he's always, we always talk about reading eyes. And that's what we talk about a lot with our guys in this, in this defense. Read eyes, read eyes, see where his eyes are going with the ball. He's reading eyes. Now, his job is if, if this guy does his job, the top guy, and forces this guy to go down this wing, ideally we want him to pass half court, right? Because that takes away – that's another defender we always talk sure. about. As soon as you cross half court, that's an extra defender. His job is to get here to cut off that sideline as fast as he possibly can. And now we either have that double ideally pass half court and now this opposite wing is taking his spot. So he's taking the middle away now. And then uh, we get that trap. We automatically are taking the pass away from the middle with that middle guy, with that opposite wing. And then our backside guys here, this guy is always taking away a side pass. And the opposite big in the back always has one simple job. And that's simply to protect the back. Yep. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's how simple this thing is. I think, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of coaches that have reached out to me and asked about it, and they're, like, stunned when I tell them, like, how simple <laughs> this thing is. Sure, but sure. now, with it being that simple, there's also a lot of rules that we talk about, too. So, for example, how we're going to play against certain teams in it, all right? If we're playing a team 
that gets it out and goes is really quick, we might just use this not to turn them over, but to slow them down for possessions. Mm -hmm. So we may not even trap, but we're just trying to slow them down so they can't get it out as quickly as possible in, in transition against us. So we'll run it like that. We'll run it against teams that are, um, that are a lot slower than us, that don't have the proper ball handling that we feel um, they need to be successful against pressure. Um, and that's how we're trying to create turnovers. And, and the biggest thing for me is I'm not really concerned about turning people over. I really want people to take fast, bad shots as much as possible, non-rhythm shots as much as possible. And I want those to be threes in this thing. So if you're taking a three and you're not in rhythm and you're taking it three to five seconds in a possession, we did a great job in this zone right now. Now you're going to live with a couple shots being made here or there. Um, you're going to give up some layups in this thing every once in a while. But I'll tell you, man, it's it's won me a, a ton of basketball games over these last 10 years. Um, and sometimes, you know, just like with anything you run, it, it, it can it can lose you some games. The team can get hot and hit some shots, and it buries you in the beginning, and you realize, hey, maybe we can't run this thing a whole game against this team. And, um, uh, real quick, something that you said that I, I'm really glad you mentioned it because I was told it, I think, like – 15 years ago, and I've, I, it's still held true today, is that when you press the team, like you mentioned, it's not necessarily about getting the turnovers, but for me personally, what, I, what I've witnessed is it's amazing, even after all these years of seeing it, I haven't coached that long, but to see that when you press a team, how much they just speed up their offense, even after they break it. I've seen teams that I've pressed the team and, and they break that press and then they're still trying to shoot like two seconds later. It's an, it's crazy to me how quickly teams might get panicked or sped up even after they, they break the press. And it seems like you have that happen too. Oh yeah. I mean, honestly for us, that, that's like I said, that's our number one goal. Like we either mm -hmm. want it. There's two things. We either want to slow down teams or we want to disrupt teams. Sure. And, um, you know, and lead to as many transition buckets as we possibly can. So that that's, Really our goal, create chaos. Um, and like I said, that's that's just our big thing in it. And um, we have three options afterwards when, while we're in it. We're either going to go man-to-man -man against it mm -hmm. or with it. Okay, so that is the toughest part in the beginning of a season is teaching that part. Because it's really easy for me to go out and say, okay, guys, we're going 21 into 12, which 21 into 12 means we're going into a 1-2-2. Or 21 into 23, which means we're going to fall back in a 2-3 zone in this thing. So that's easier to teach after we've gone through our principles of a one-two-two or a two-three zone in the half court. But the man-to-man -man part is the trickiest part. But that to me is the most lethal part. If you can really get your team to buy into this thing and really pick up afterwards, and it's a scramble and it's a big communication thing, then you're great. Like you're gonna have an opportunity to, to really disrupt a lot of teams and what they like to do. So sure. uh so quick question just from your experience in running this the first the first person um on offense who catches the ball how often is that person just going right up the sideline versus you know swinging the pass backwards back to the inbounder I'm just curious in your experience once that ball is caught what do you what have you typically seen that that first person with the ball tends to do so honestly I'll be you know this is the most honest answer I can give you. It depends on who's playing, right? Like uh -huh. if we're playing a very disciplined team, they're going to do a good job of, of take, slowing it down, taking their time, getting it over the court, and then they break it. And, and, we're, and we're fine with that. Like mm -hmm. I did my job. We slowed them down. They're not bringing the ball up the floor very quickly. They're not, you know, 
taking advantage of, of uh, you know, maybe us being lazy on defense once or twice if we were in transition defense. Or we do get the guy puts his head down right away, and that's <laughs> one of our goals. Get that guy's head down. Make him so uncomfortable that you see his head go down, and now my middle guy, my, my, my safety, sees the eyes, sees the eyes go down, and he's going. He's going like up, I yeah. said, our, our goal is to get this after half court to add the actual extra, sure. extra defender, right? Sure, sure. But if we're doing it in the backcourt, I'm okay with that, as long as everybody else is doing their job in this thing. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing for me too, and I'm, you know, obviously I'm showing you this on, on a board again, is these two back guys, our bigs in this thing, have the ultimate job of being communicators. Now, all five guys got to communicate for this thing to work. But these two guys are really this guy's second pair of eyes right here. Because what's going to happen is teams smarten up. They bring their guys up here, right? So you might have a guy inbound here, here, and you got your normal pressure breaker right here. These guys are allowed to creep up. You know, we, we kind of can make this look like it's almost a 2-2-1 in a sense or a 2-3 um, a full core pressure type of thing. Mm-hmm. They're allowed to come up yeah. and take this away. And then they're communicating to this middleman every single time. Really who makes this thing really work is this middleman and these back guys. To me, the easiest job are the top two guys. I really, I really <laughs> believe they got the easiest job. Yeah. They got the hardest amount of work to do, but their job – is and their rules are very simple and in, in, in how we run it. So just to kind of clarify that 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 one the guy in the middle, his attention is what's in front of him. And so the two in the back, they need to communicate with the guy in the middle about what's going on because that guy in the middle isn't like looking backwards. He's focused on what's right in front of him. Am I, am I right in thinking that? Uh, yes. Yes. And no, because okay. the middle guy's job, his main job, like I said, is to be a Hawk or, you know, or sure, safety. Sure. no catches in the middle to break, to start this thing. So that's our, that's our main goal too, is there cannot be any catches in the middle of the zone press because as soon as it's in the middle, it's done. And that's what can lead to fast breaks. What makes this really great, too, is we already got two defenders back. So the likelihood of us giving up a layup in this thing is pretty, is pretty slim, to be, to be quite honest with you. You know, if you go 2-2-1 two, two, and you break it, you can have a two-on-one going on the other side, and now you're in trouble. If you go 1-2-2, two, two, yeah, you still got, yeah, you're right. You got, the, you got the evens on the backside, too, so that can work. But like I said, we've had great success with this thing, and that middle guy is essential, not letting middle, middle catches happening. And the backside guys are really, are, like I said, his second set of ears to let him know, like, hey, there's someone creeping up on the left side. See, you, see your left, see your left, see your left. So mm-hmm. it's just a big communication thing. So how, when it, when it comes to the, the application of this, because, again, for, for pretty much everyone who's, who's doing a press, it's the middle that they're really worried about, just like you mentioned about, you know, the middle. Make sure that, that you keep things out of the middle. So when you're implementing it or going through it in practice, what do you do to really emphasize or teach so that you're denying the the middle, especially that pass as much as possible? Well, so we, we talk a lot about our footwork and it's, and mm. then, you know, a lot of guys talk about, you know, chopping your feet and half court defense, closing sure. out, right? I mean, it's the same thing for us in the full court too. When you're going to trap a guy, we're chopping our feet because if you come out straight footed like this, planting your feet, a guy's going to go by you. Like, you, mm-hmm. you know, you need to be in an athletic stance, and we always talk about being on your toes. And, you know, um, so that's the one thing we do with our guards that are in this thing 
Uh, we're always working on closeouts. We're talking about corners and situations where we have to. And then the middle guy, like we said, we, we just preach it all the time. We'll do a drill where guys are flashing back and forth and we're, that middle man has to cut them off. And, you know, a few years back, you were able to get away with a little bit of an elbow to bump a guy. Now you can't. <laughs> now you really got to fight to make sure you're getting over the top of this thing. So, um, yeah, so we do a lot of different things in, 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 in practice. And I'd love to break those down with you and show you um, just, uh, just to kind of make it work. Um, but like I said, the biggest thing is um, for us, it only works if you talk. Uh, you got to have buy-in from the kids. We've had a season where I couldn't run this at all because the kids just couldn't do it. Uh, you got to be quick. You got to have some athleticism. Uh, what works is to have some longer guards in the front and in the middle. You're not blessed with that every single year, obviously. Um, and then, like I said, you know, breaking down the drills is essential. Reading eyes, I think, is very important. And uh, always on our toes is something we always talk about. Well, yeah, let, let, let's kind of dive a little bit into that about the the idea of, of, of the footwork and, and, and the eyes and the things that you're kind of doing in, in a practice type situation. Because a big fear for a lot of people in, in putting a press is players getting over anxious, players reaching, players, you know, just, just making silly mistakes and, and not using their feet or, or trying to do too much. So what do you kind of go through or in practice, whether, whether it's drills or anything like that, to really get, get the footwork and the eyes and the communication and those things where they need to be to avoid those kind of cheap fouls? Yeah, so we, we, we're always talking about having our, our arms up wide when we're doing this thing, okay? Because mm -hmm. number one, that's also making those passing lanes a lot harder for those guys. So we're always working on shadowing the ball every single time when we're breaking down drills in this. So we'll, we'll do a drill where, you know, we got that defender, so say it's getting inbounds, and now our, our, our top guy's pressuring that guy. We're always, we're always doing a drill where the middle guy is coming up, meeting him at the sideline, chopping his feet, closing out. And then that's just a simple little first part of the drill. And then with that, we always have that opposite guard replacing that middle guy. So that's just one portion of how to break it down. Um, we've also do just individual drills, just with like our regular basic man-to-man -man defense, chopping our feet, making sure, making sure we're stopping short, uh, depending on who we're playing. Um, so that a lot of that goes into personnel as to who we're playing against that night. Um, so we'll prepare differently in this thing for quicker, faster guards than we would against slower, you know, <laughs> guards that can't really dribble the basketball. Mm -hmm. And, and that, I guess that, that brings up a kind of a follow-up question to that, and you could just kind of mention it there. Does your philosophy or the, the way that you run it change if there's a lot of really strong ball handlers on the other team? Or is it okay, like you mentioned, that, that they break it because then you'll just kind of fall back into something else? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's sometimes where we'll, those, two, those two top guards will not pressure as hard, and it's mm -hmm. more of this kind of baiting them into spots instead of, uh, pressuring them into spots, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so what, what we'll do is instead of putting it at the free throw line, we may now drop it to the to the top of the key. So more so almost like a three-quarter 2-1-2 then. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then just kind of bait to get to our spots quicker, if that makes sense. That gives us more of an opportunity to get that guard in the areas we'd like to get them to pressure. But if we're playing, I'll be honest, if we're playing a great team, like, you yeah. know, we got stuck playing, uh, we had a great schedule. We, have, we, we, we don't run from anybody, but we played a really good Fenwick team in our gym last year. You know, Bryce Hopkins was going to Kentucky and they had a, a, a point guard who's one of the top point guards in the state. Um, you know, 
we didn't run this very well against them because, you know, when you got that type of athleticism, height, height will really deteriorate you in this thing. If, 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 if you're going against a really larger team, it's tough to pressure. Um, but if you could just slow them down a little bit, that's our goal. And then like in a lot of games, like I said, we've been able to do that against better teams too. Yeah. And like you kind of mentioned a couple of times, like this, like you, you love, you love running this and if it gets the results you want, great. But at the end of the day, like you kind of mentioned, if it just slows the team down or disrupts them a little bit, then that, then that's perfectly fine too. And it seems like you're just as fine with going right back into whatever else you need to do, whether it's a, a two, three or a different type of defense or running in or going right into your man. And if you found over the years that, that it's been, relatively easy for your kids to kind of just fall back into one of those defenses? Is there one that's a little trickier? I think you mentioned man was a little trickier. Uh, what's the process for, for teaching and for the uh, players being able to just kind of transition and fall back into something else? Yeah. So the big, yeah, man is tough. So here, here, here's what will happen sometimes with us. We'll get, we'll get a guard switched onto a big, if we have to, we're scrambling to match up as fast as we can. So we're automatically talking about if we do get matched up with a guard uh, or a big on a guard, that we're always running, and then we always have our weak side help. And then we are constantly, as soon as we're in that, we are communicating on switches right away. Um, so we'll, we're pretty good at, you know, just through training and working on this stuff, you know, almost every single day of, hey, this is our mismatch. We got to get back to who, we got to get back to what our personnel is good here defensively. So we're not going to have a five foot seven kid guarding a six foot six kid for, you know, a possession because we're going to get buried. We're going to make sure we find a way to get that switch if we can. Um, so yeah, the man part is very hard, but it, it is also to me has been the most disruptive because they're not a lot. They, it's really hard for them to get into an offense unless you have a great point guard that's going to slow the tempo down once they get it past half court to run what they have to run mm -hmm. because it's just a constant what is going on, what is going on type situation for players that we go against. Um, when we fall back, and it's pretty simple, when we fall back into the one, two, two. So, you know, you got my alignment with the 2-1-2 two, two full court, Yep. you know, here. My middle guy now becomes the top guy in the zone. My two, my two top guys fall back into the wings of that zone. So there's your 1-2-2 two, two right there. So it's pretty simple to get in that alignment as fast as we possibly can. And then my two bigs are on the bottom or 3-2, 1-2-2, two, 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 whatever you'd like to call it. When we do the 2-3, this can be a little bit trickier. The only thing that switches these two top guys now become the top of the zone. My middle guy and my bigs, one of them is going to switch. So the switch. bigger guy is in the middle of the zone and then the uh, middle guy is going to the wing. So um, that's pretty much how we've done it throughout the years. And um, like I said, it's been disruptive. We have gone into that two, one, two into a one, two, two, and then trapped the corners out of this thing too. Um, that's been something that's worked out really well against some, uh, some teams that can't deal with pressure very well. Um, and then the 2-3 zone, we just kind of run basically like a Syracuse type of principle 2-3 zone out, yep. of, out of this thing. Are you running this 2-1-2? This how often? I, I, I know it depends on the opponent, but I, I guess in an ideal world, are, how much in the percentage of the game are you running this? I have a follow-up question to go with that, but I'm curious about how, how, much do you, how long do you stay into this for? So it's basically a read on what's going on in the game. So it's kind of hard for me to answer that question, but I would sure. say if we're being very successful at it, we're going to run it. If, 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 we're, if we're up, 
you know, 20 to 30 points in a game, then we're going to pull it off 25, 30 points. We're going to pull it off. I'm not the kind of guy to <laughs> putting it on somebody ever, but um, you know, if we feel like, even if it's keeping us in a game, right. If, if it's keeping us up by six points, you know, staying in it, we're going to run it. Um, but if the team keeps breaking it and they're, they're slowing it down, running their tempo, then maybe we think about taking it off for a while uh, and we'll throw it back out, maybe out of a timeout, um, you know, or, or a situation where we think that we can be successful. That ideally, ideally, I would not like to run it a whole game because it is tiring. Uh, we that, do have, that, that was my follow-up with it, especially yeah. for those top two guys. I imagine they're, they're yeah. running ragged. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we have to just know where our guys are at. And, um, you know, the one thing that we tell the kids is, like, hey, you need to let us know if you need a breather, number one, because then we can get two other guards in there quickly as possible. I'm, I'm at a school with 4,000 kids. Okay, so it's a little, it's a little easier. Bodies. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple more bodies, you know, at, at most points where I can throw in two guys to recharge real quick and give those two guys, you know, a two or three minute break. Um, but, you know, we've never ran this for four quarters straight. I can tell you that we've never done that. Um, I would say probably on average, probably two quarters, two and a half quarters is what we've done. And then maybe end of the game situations and, you know, timeout situations and things like that, mm -hmm. just to mix it up. And so I've asked this, uh, <clears throat> it's quite a few guests, especially when it comes to defense, because every coach who cares about defense, they're going to emphasize the word communicate. And while, and on the same end, a lot of coaches will say that their kid never communicate as much as they would like. So I have to ask in terms of communication, how do you get your kids to communicate coach? Man, I mean, we, uh, you know, we've, we've struggled the past few years. Um, and I'm not even going to lie to you defensively in a straight man to man, um, because of our lack of communication. And it's just something that we're trying to break with the culture of, of the program. But, uh, you know, what I love to do, um, is I love to run our defensive stuff in practice at the end of practice. And somebody told me that about four or five years ago. And I, I thought it was like crazy. I'm like, oh, these kids are going to be gassed. But then I'm thinking in my head, that's the best. That, that, that's it. It's perfect. Because they are now so tired from that hour and a half of practice that now they cannot mentally mess up mistakes in a defensive situation in practice. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Fourth quarter, you're going to feel the same way right now than you do at the end of practice sure. doing the defensive principles. Now, it gets sloppy at times. That's one thing I can say, and then we got to fix it. Um, and we don't do that every day, but, you know, a couple days out of the week, we're doing shell drill at the end of the practice. You know, we're doing all of our rotational stuff at the end of practice. We're doing pressure, press stuff at the end of practice just to see, make them understand that it's easy to communicate the first three minutes of the game. You're not tired. <laughs> You know, it's easy sure, to communicate sure. at, at the end of a quarter. It's not easy to communicate if you're playing the whole eight minutes in the fourth quarter and it's a two-point game and our gym gets packed. You know, like you got to be loud. So we put the sound level up. We, our gym is, it gets, it gets insane, man. It's, it, we had to turn away 300 kids one day for a game last year. I mean, our gym gets really packed and we love it. Oh, yeah. But it's very, very difficult to, to coach sometimes in that environment. And it's very difficult for those kids to, to communicate in that environment. So... You know, we might put the music up one day in, in, in practice and make them scream at the top of their lungs. I know that sounds crazy, but whatever little bit that we can do the, to get an advantage, we got to do it. So, and, and it seems like you've seen you've seen success of that. And well, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, some situations where, where it does get tough, but hopefully players kind of recognize when when it's not going well it's because other other players didn't communicate I know I've had situations where I've had teams who didn't communicate as much as they need to and then in a game 
they get frustrated that they're not communicating with one another. So I, I don't know. That's just a personal experience that I've had. And, and I'm sure almost every coach has kind of had that as well. For sure. And I, you know, I, no one's ever going to be perfect. And that's one thing that we say, you know, yeah. one, one, one of my, one of my great assistant coaches of all time, he just got um, a head coaching job, which makes me so happy. His name's Tom Antos. He's the head coach at Wheeling high school. Now, one thing he really brought was the positivity every single day. And one thing he always told these guys was next play mentality, next play mentality. And I, and now I just, that's, that's like my thing now because of him. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, you're going to mess up. You're going to miss a coverage. You're going to not yell a back screen when a guy gets hammered, but you better be ready to make up for it next play. And yeah. that's just how we kind of go by with things. So, yeah. No, no, I like that approach, that that next play mentality, even good or bad. Like, just yep. keep on moving. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Now, in, in practice, um, when it comes to to running it or uh, seeing it in action when you're when you're doing your your defense, what are you looking for uh, on the offensive end? Are are you focusing also on the offense, making sure that they're doing what they need to do to break it. I'm always curious about teams who are really invested in their press about what they're looking for on, on the offensive end as well, especially in practice. Oh, so you're asking what we would do if we were getting the press in this same type of situation? I'm sorry. Yeah, no. so yeah. So what I'm asking is if you're, let's just say you're doing five on five and you're running, your, you're running this defense, you're running the two on two, what are you looking for in practice on the offensive end, what they're doing to try and break it? Oh, patience. Patience. And, I, and, and I'll be honest with you, that's been, to me, when we talk with my assistant coaches, like, you know, I brought up my, my assistant coach from Wheeling. He always like, dies laughing at the fact it works so well. He's like, I don't understand why this works. So <laughs> all you have to do is be, and I'm giving out my answers to the, to the quiz right now, to the, probably the whole CPS, but uh, the Chicago Public League. But yeah, all you got to do is be patient, you know? And sure, sure. one thing that we do defensively in this thing too, is we try to make some goals. So one of our goals is three tens. And three tens means we want you to not get the ball over half court. We want three 10 second violations against you. Mm -hmm. We try to give these guys some goals to do it. But um, so if you want to take your time, that's great. We do want you to take your time. We want you to get to that 10 second call. But offensively for us, it's being patient, making sure we have flashers going to the middle at this on both sides at all times. Um, and then once we get it past half court, we want our guards to hold that ball for a few seconds, let their defense set up. That's fine for us then we'll get into what we know we need to. So if I were to go against this thing, yeah, I, I would say, hey, slow it down, get it past half court. Don't go in the corners because you know you're going to get crushed. Hit that ball to the middle of the floor and let's run what we need to, either against a man, a one, two, two, a two, three, or whatever. But yeah, that's what we would do. This is this is more of a philosophical question and, and just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Is, is there a reason why you think that a, a lot of teams aren't aren't being patient is it just because they're they're not used to that setup of a 212 like i'm just curious about your thoughts as to why i guess why you think that you know teams feel like in such a rush or, or aren't aren't being that patient or disciplined when going up against it well i'll say there's a few things and, and i'm not by any means am i dogging anyone no else's no of course program. not <laughs> yeah by any means am i dogging anyone else's programs but i think preparation is huge i think it's really hard to prepare for this thing if you let's say you play thursday night and you're playing a saturday night like, I think that's very hard, um, unless you've been going over it for the past week at certain points throughout your practices. So I think the preparation part is big. I think that if you don't scout against us, you're going to have trouble. You really are going to have trouble against it. Um, I do think that, um, you know, 
the fact that we can do different things in the half court afterwards is also another situation where that takes time to prep for too. And if you just don't have the personnel to do well against us, it doesn't matter how well. And if you don't have the personnel in practice to do this defense mm-hmm. well against your guys, you're not going to do well against it if we have faster, quicker, stronger guys. You know, you can break it a million times against slower, unathletic <laughs> kids. Yeah. But true. if you're doing it against full speed against real athleticism, you're going to struggle pretty bad against it. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, if you don't have the, the personnel to kind of replicate it, then yep. you, it might look great in practice, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. then you see your team up against like, wait, those players are a lot faster than what I was running yeah. in practice. And I, and I mean, I've been on the other end of that a million times, right? Yep. We'll go against a one-three-one that's trapping. I'm like, oh man, we were killing it in practice. I'm like, <laughs> well, you got six seven, six six, six seven. I got five eleven, six one, six two. So yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Why? Funny. <laughs> uh, so s- some other some other questions here about some of the uh, the, the the finer points of it. Uh, trapping. Uh, trapping is one of those things where. Uh, it, it goes a lot of different ways. When it looks when it looks great, it's great, and sometimes it, it gets broken, and coaches are ready to pull their hair out of their head when uh, somehow a trap gets broken. So, in your experience, what, what what's a what's a good trap? What's like the perfect trap? I know when it gets past half court, I know that's like the ideal scenario. But when you have two two guys trapping, what is like how it looks like when it's done the way you want it? For me, it's two guys. Number one, that are communicating. Number two, that are busting their butt to do the trap as quickly as possible and do it the correct way. So when I talk about, you know, chopping your feet, like I said, not coming Mm -hmm. out flat-footed, because that's how a lot of traps are broke. And the other thing is, too, you'll see a lot of traps where the gaps are so wide when they try to trap. And now, hey, man, like, these kids nowadays, like, I'm 36 years old. I wouldn't be able to break some. These kids are going between their legs to break in between (laughs) traps, like, they're so creative and they're, they got so many more, you know, ways to get better than we did when I was younger, you know, traps to these kids nowadays are easy to break if they're not perfect. And you're not, you know, you're not going to have perfect traps. So like you said, Mm -hmm. you're going to pull your hair out. The time I pull my hair out is when a guy's not giving me all he can in, in Mm -hmm. this. If you're not giving me all you can, why are we out here doing this? Why am I prepping you for, for you to do this? You know, um, and that's the quickest way for me to get a guy on the bench on my teams is if you're not going hard, you're not going to play. You've got to be a guy that's going to go hard all the time um, for us to be successful. We may not be the most talented team, but man, you got to be, you got to win every 50, 50 ball. You got to do it all for us to, to put us in a situation to win. And, and that goes with our traps. Like I said, going hard, knowing your personnel out there. Sometimes you can't over, overextend in your traps and, you just got to know who you're going against. And uh, I think we do a good job of preparing our guys. And I think we got a great group of guys that really buy in. I was really excited for this season because I think every single kid was a buy-in kid. We're not lucky to have that every year. I don't think every team, you know, I think a lot of guys would be joking themselves if they said (laughs) one through 15, every 15 guys are bought in every year. That's not true. You know, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I need to get better at what I do, but you know, I think, you know, 15 guys really need to buy into this thing for it to work. Well, the buy-in part just, I assume, naturally leads into them being better communicators with you. I'll let you speak on it, but I assume that your teams that are most bought in are probably the teams that are most communicating and, and talking about what's going on in the court, especially in this particular defense that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I've talked about a little bit before with you is, you mm-hmm. know, just some of the goals. So we want to keep everything goal-oriented so that way sure. they have a little bit more of incentive. So, like, we have deflection goals in this thing. We have deflection goals just in defense in general. 
you know, I, I'm sure everybody here knows what turkeys are for the most part. If you don't know what a turkey is, turkey is a, a bowling term where you get three strikes in a row. Well, we want to get three turkeys in the basketball game six to seven times because then we think we're going to win that game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we uh, we track those. We uh, we like to make sure the kids know, and then maybe we take some sprints away for something goofy they might have did because because of the fact that uh, you know they worked so hard and, and accomplished some of our goals that that last game or whatever. Yep, and. I wanted to ask specifically when, when it comes to, to this press, uh, we usually spend, a lot of coaches do, uh, when especially in talking about it, talking about the, the, the two guys in the front, the guy in the middle, but, but those guys in the back, especially in the situation where, let's just say it's a, it's a layup opportunity now and the last line of defense is one of those guys in the back. Are there any specific defensive principles that, that you want to make sure that you're emphasizing so that they're, they're guarding that, you know, layup or, or dunk attempt to what the best that they can be? What is the expectation for the guy in the back when it's just him and somebody coming down with the ball looking to score? So we got a few things. We stunt a lot. So if it's a two-on-one situation, we're going to stunt one way just to kind of get the guy to do maybe do something differently at that mm -hmm. time. We want to be vertical. We talk about verticality a lot. Um, and then we also want to talk about like, you know, and this is hard, you know, at a spirit of a moment type thing, but we'll talk to our kids about, hey, take a foul here if the, you know this guy's a terrible free throw shooter, especially in late game situations. So if this is a guy that broke the press, but he's, you know, we know that we've gone and watched these guys play three or four times and he might be, you know, four for 16 from the line. Just make sure he doesn't get an and one. And we're not talking about fouling kids hard. We're not trying to hurt sure. anybody but make sure we're grabbing that arm when he's going up and we're giving a good foul. So it gives us a better situation where, Hey, maybe he hits one free throw or he misses both. And maybe they get lucky and he hits both. I mean, it's just, you know, that's just the, the way the game goes, but yeah, we're always talking about stunting. We're talking about verticality. And then the biggest thing too, and I didn't talk about this at all in the whole podcast, it's just the rebounding aspect. So our rebounding has to be great out of this too. So let's go in. Let's go in, in the rebounding. Is that I've heard? I've heard everything for, from rebounding. I've, I've heard about drills. I've heard about schematics. I've heard you know just just get the ball. <laughs> so yeah. so what's what what's rebounding mean to you in terms of how how it's taught or, or how you emphasize it? it? Or is it an effort thing? I'll let you speak on it. Man, it, you know for me, um, I think about when I played in college and like I brought up my old college coach in this thing. We did a drill. And I'm sure a lot of people do this drill, but oh my God, man, I, I, my bones just kind of break. I feel thinking about it. It's like, <laughs> we did this drill called one-on-one -on -one just rebounding. And all of us would go at half court and it'd be a one-on-one -on -one rebounding drill. And you're on an island now. You're going against, right. I'm, I'm a 5'10 guard. Well, you know, that's what I was. And I'm going against our 6'6 power forward. And you need to get three defensive rebounds in a row. And until you do that, you're stuck in that drill for as long as it goes. And it's one of the most hellish things I've ever had done to me. I, I could say that it made me a better rebounder in my life because I know right away now I'm hitting you with my elbow. I'm turning and I'm going after that ball as fast as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. You know, we had guys in college, man. We had guys that were stuck in that thing for 25 minutes. And, you know, <laughs> my coach was not, was not the guy to say, hey, let him off. It's, it, you know, he's tired. He's like, no, you need to toughen up, get in there and do it so that you're learning the principles. Um, so yeah, rebounding is huge. We do a lot of, you know, we do a lot of something called zone rebounding where we have four, four or five guys on the outside and they're labeled one, two, three, four, and five. Yep. And then we have three guys on the inside. And what I'll say is I'll shoot the ball and I'll say one, two, four. So one, two, and four are sprinting now to get that rebound. So the guys have to communicate and go find a guy. 
So now we got three on three rebound, the other two guys clear out, and then it's live if the offense gets it. And um, what makes both of those, like my coaches um, drill and that drill hard, is you can score as many times as you want. And like our goal, you know, I think in college, like a guy got scored on like 24 times in a row until he got the rebound. And you're just gassed. So like sure. we want to make it a, a situation where like rebounding is not easy, right? Rebounding is not an easy thing to do. You do get unlucky sometimes when the ball bounces the wrong way or whatever. But as long as you're doing your principles the right way, that's what we care about the most. And, and if you get into that situation where, you know, it, it came down to that last line of defense and they, they missed the shot, now, now you have the rebound, are, are you just off and running in transition? Is there a certain look that you're looking to get into? Or what, what's the process then if, if you were able to, you know, get a rebound or something out of, out of that defense? Yeah, it depends on who we have, right? Like our personnel is going to change. We may not be as fast as we were the year before. Um, you know, there might be times where we get the rebound, our guards just come to get the ball, mm -hmm. we're going to blow it down. But there's other times, like, we're, we're filling our transition spots, we're throwing it up the wing, we're hoping our big is sprinting down the lane, and now we're dumping it in, we're going to be able to get a look right away. Um, so it just all depends if our trans if we're running a really good transition offense with a group of kids that can do it, or if we're just simply going to say, hey, we're going to run our stuff. We're, we're gonna, we don't have a shot clock in Illinois, so we're going we're gonna to take that to our advantage. We may run a minute possessions at a time until we can get a look that will work out well for us. Yeah. That's very hard. I, I don't want to sit here and say that, you know, that's not easy to run a minute possession, but we'd love to do that. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I mean, we don't have a shot clock here, here in Arizona either, and I feel like that does, that does sort of change things up a little bit. And, and that's interesting, too, that, that you mentioned about um, not having a shot clock because I feel like your – that the defense that you run potentially that that the two one two could even be more effective if you're playing up a, a, against a team where in a state where there is a shot clock because I can imagine teams might really start feeling disrupted or start feeling panic once the shot clock starts ticking. Yeah, and you know what? There's a big push here right now in Illinois from all of our coaches. Well, I'd say the majority of our coaches for a shot clock. Mm -hmm. Oh, shot clock, shot clock. Um, I do think within the next three or four years, it's probably going to be a reality that all levels will probably have a shot clock here in Illinois. I think that's what we're all hoping for. I think it's what's best for the game. I think it's what's best for our kids. Um, so hopefully we'll get there. Now, I have won games where I've held the ball. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. So, you know, I, it, there's definitely some positive and some negatives to, uh, towards it. But um, I think, you know, to prepare these kids that want to play at the next level, it's extremely important that, you know, we'll hopefully have one in the next few years. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to, to see kind of how your defense kind of the, I don't know if the effectiveness is the right word, but just to see if anything looks a little bit different if you do have a shot clock and you can kind of gauge things based off of, you know, how much time there is or how long it takes and for yeah. them to set up and, and get into what they need to because I, I think that just adds a whole different level of strategy almost by having that shot clock that is almost like a defender, you know, that's kind of what it is as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. Yeah, very true. So when... I'm curious too, coaches have different beliefs and philosophies about this, but I know in the defense that you're running the amount of effort and the amount of hustle and the amount of running that they do. And different coaches have different philosophies in terms of having players get in shape. A couple of them, I've, I've talked to coaches who are like, you better just be in shape and I want to spend any time on practice getting you in shape. And I've had other coaches who are like, no, we're going to get you in shape the way that I want you to get in shape. So I'm curious for you and your program, how, what does that look like for you, I guess, specifically in terms of like conditioning for your players? 
Yeah. So I'm not really the type of guy, I, you know, we don't bury our guys by saying, all right, today we're going to do seven teams on the sideline. We do that at times, right? You know, we're not going to kill something called a six two six, which is down and back six times, then two times back pedaling and then six same way. And you have to do that like in a minute and 30. I love doing those things too, sure. and, you know, but <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather us do a lot of full court stuff where we're working hard, getting it out transition wise, defensive wise. And that's how we get our, 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 our uh, conditioning in. I don't want them to think in their head that running is a bad thing. I want run. I want them to think in their head running is a good thing. So I try to, and I'm not always perfect at this. I'd be lying to you if I did. I want that to be replicated in practice in gameplay more so than get on the line. Let's get in shape. Now, preseason conditioning is way different, right? We're going to be on the track. We're going to be hitting the hills. We're going to do whatever we can. We're going to be running around our large building to get in shit, whatever. But, you know, when it comes to in season, I don't want to bury them. And then, you know, for us, we, um, towards the end of the season, we don't go two hours of practice. We go about an hour and a half because I want to save legs. Cause I think towards the end of the season, you start seeing kids really get exhausted. Those legs are tired easier. Um, so we, we try to save legs going into the state tournament or the end of a play or the end of a conference, uh, conference run. Um, so we just try to conserve our, our kids too, as much as we can as well. I think, I, I think a lot of coaches kind of have gotten into that philosophy as, as the season goes on, like the practices become shorter and then it's, it's like you said, it kind of sa saves legs and, kind of makes you more efficient, I think, in terms of your practice planning. And, and I guess that'll, that'll transition to that question. By the time you get to the end, closer towards like the end of the season, preparing for the state tournament, how much time do you really spend on, on refining and going over the, this 2-1-2? Two, two? What, what place does that have in your practices uh, as you get closer to the state tournament? Depends on how good we are at it, you know, mm -hmm. like if we're still struggling there, you know, we're going to continue to do things, you know, we're, we're only going to do things in 10 to 15 minute segments if we do. Um, so we're not going to bury them for 35 minutes. <laughs> that gets boring. Kids get bored. Yep. Just like if we were to sit there and do something for 35 minutes straight, you know, over and over, it's going to get boring to us. So we just want to make sure it's a little bit different. Um, for me personally, and this is something I do as a coach is, I have a practice plan on the wall for them. They get the exact same practice plan that I get every single day, posted on the wall of practice. So they know exactly what is coming and when it's coming. And I don't really put like, oh, you know, sometimes I'll put on there the times we're supposed to finish. But if we finish, let's just say we're in December and it's early in the season. If we get through in a minute, an hour and 40 minutes and it's a two and a two, two hour practice, you know, we're done. I'm not going to force them to stay that extra 20 minutes. They could stay and get more shots up, get some extra work in. Sure. But I'm not going to force them, you know, to do something better if they're already doing it well enough that we think that, you know, we can move on. So, yeah, and it's almost like a little bit of incentive for them if, if, if they want to be done with practice, like to really be sharp and, and really go all out and, and show what they can do. Yeah, that, that's kind of that's kind of nice for them. A little bit of incentive, especially like you said, they're probably a little bit tired and a little bit a little bit worn down. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, no, that no, that makes a lot of sense. And just to, to add to that, because you brought that up, have you been in situations where, you know, it's state tournament time and you've had, you know, that, that two months here, like, you know what, that, that just isn't where I need to be and, and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, maybe trust it as much um, or 
I guess what has that situation been like for you? Because um, I don't know what it's like out uh, for you guys where, where where you are, but maybe come state tournament time, you're playing teams who've never played against a two one two, so you have more trust in it. Tell me about what what that's like come postseason play of your defense. Yeah, you know, for for me, like it, it's always just about our personnel and who we're going up against, yep. um, and then and then also, I have a pretty good barometer, I'd say, as to mm -hmm a coach that I'm going up against. Like, you know, I'd like to know, I know a lot of good coaches out here in Chicago and Illinois Yeah, where I feel like I know if that person is preparing enough. Um, and then I think they know that I'm going to be prepared. So I think like, you know, it's like a game of chess, right? You, yep. it, it's all it is. It's a chess move every single time. So we may start a game in it or we may not start in it and throw it in in the middle of a quarter or something like that to see if they're ready for it. Um, I don't want to be predictable, and sometimes you have to be, right? Like, if you know a team is going to struggle, you're going to start out in it right away. But I might not be predictable and run in the middle of the third quarter out of a timeout and, and see how they react, you know, when a coach doesn't even know I'm preparing to throw it out there and see if they've gone over it. So, yeah, I mean, it just depends. I, like I said, there's been games where I, I probably had to throw it out after, like, two or three minutes because they just did a great job. They broke yeah. it. They took their time and – um but then there's also been times where, you know, like I said, we've played better teams and they're throwing the ball to the stands and <laughs> pulling their hair out. And uh, more so than not, it's been a very positive experience for us. Like I sure. said, it's very, you definitely get some negatives, but that's with any offense, any defense, something's going to happen. We're humans. We're going to make mistakes. Yep. Until, until that's been cured, that, that, that'll happen <laughs> until I can become perfect, right? Yeah, Exactly. And I, I think that that's an important part that I just kind of want to make sure that 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 I that I address or you address is that you know this is this this two one two and and running this is something you're very passionate about and something that you really like but it's not necessarily like your end all be all where if it doesn't work out then you know every everything's over like you have confidence in your players and their ability to go into a one two two or into a two three or just to match up and so you still have that belief that, okay, if this isn't working, that's fine. We're going to do something else. And you have confidence that you're just going to be successful at that as well. I would be a bad coach if I, if, if this was the end all be all, you know what I mean? Like we got to have more, we got to have more, uh, more secrets in our pocket or I don't know, you know, a good expression right now, but we get, we definitely got to have more things ready to go for, for teams than just yeah, this. For so. sure. Uh, great. So there's a couple little stories that you mentioned at the very beginning that I wanna that I did want to get to. But before I even get to those, coach, I wanted I wanted to make sure you got out any any other last bits of information about your two one two that you wanted. Was there any other points that you wanted to emphasize or bring up? I want to make sure that you were able to share everything that you wanted to. No, but you know what? Am I allowed to give you my? To, am I allowed to give out my email right now? If anyone has questions, go for it. Here you yeah, go. So my, email. My, my email is still my email from my uh, two previous high schools, actually. That's great. And it's, uh, it's J Tucker, T U C K E R, at Luther, L U T H E R, North, N O R T H dot org. I love to help people out in this game. Um, I've had a lot of great people help me out, and I've had a lot of really good, really good mentors in this in this basketball game. Mm -hmm. um, so if you ever want to talk, it doesn't have to be about this 2 1 2. I could tell you anything that, you know, anything you want to learn about, I would love to help. So get a lot of young coaches that have Zoomed with me this year, and it was honestly nice. one of the coolest things. So Nice, nice. Great. So there's a couple questions I ask, uh, ask every guest before we wrap up. Now, 
The first question is a coaching moment from your coaching career that you think others listening could learn from. Now, if it's not about that five on two situation, that's fine, but I am going to ask you about that separately. So uh, coach, what is a coaching moment from your career that, that you think others listening would be able to learn from? I, ha I have two, if you don't mind me asking. Go for it. So the first one is honestly a, a really somber thing. Um, and it's, you know, but it ends up being a better thing. So mm -hmm. This was uh, three or four years ago. First time I sat on the bench at a sophomore game in probably four or five years. Normally I sit up in the stands and watch the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had one of our boys, he was a freshman, big kid, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, we, we had real high hopes for him, great kid. Gets out of the game and he's really tired. So um, he goes and sits on the bench and, you know, we're two minutes into the game or, two, or, you know, two minutes after he comes out and all of a sudden we hear a big, big thud. And, you know, you're thinking in your head that a kid leaned back on a chair and he fell. Mm -hmm. Well, come to happen is our kid had an enlarged heart and his heart, his heart stopped. Um, so for, for me, I felt like it was like, you know, a blessing that I was on that bench at the time. And number two, that I had another great sophomore coach and Reggie Williams who reacted right away. And, an, and, a, and a person in the stands of that game, go grab an AED and we helped save that boy's life. Um, he wow. can no longer play basketball, sadly. But, you know, it was just an absolute blessing. I really felt like, and to this day, I get chills about it, that I sat on that bench that day. Because it was, it was the scariest moment of my life. So I always tell people, hey, man, you just always be ready and count your blessings. Because, you know, that is a situation that I never want to go through again. And I never want anybody else to go through. Sure. And I'm just blessed that young man's alive right now today. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that was the one. And then the other thing, um, when we closed at Luther North um, in 2017, we lost in a sectional game on a buzzer beater that was not that should not have counted. And it was all over the news. It was all over Comcast, Sportsnet. Um, it was clearly not out of the guy's hands. And what, what made that a very tough situation was that wasn't like a, a shot to end a season. That was a shot to end a program. You know, because we knew we yeah. were closing that day. So the sure. kid hits the shot. I'll send you the video. Kid hits the shot. Clearly his day, not good. Ref comes out, says no good, then changes it to good. <laughs> um, so what I learned from that situation is like, you know, things are not going to go your way. We should have won that game. We did enough to win that game. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a big life lesson and, you know, like with adversity. You know, like those boys are always going to remember that to this day and are going to work harder, you know, if they went to play college or just in everything in their life to know that now I have to be just a little bit better so that situation doesn't happen to me again. Like we could have been up four points instead of three, right, or two. Uh -huh. What could we have done where this situation didn't happen at all? So those are my two stories I'd say I'd like to share. Yeah, I, that that situation, yeah, that that that's really, really difficult. And And like you said, uh, you know, when a situation like that happens where something happens or a bad call at the end, it's like, it's really unfortunate. But then later it's like, well, why did, why did it come down to that <laughs> to begin with? You start thinking about it in that way as well to try and, like you said, you know, just work a little bit harder as well. And, and yeah, that, that's really unfortunate. Unfortunately it happens. Uh, I, I think that that's crazy that it was originally waved off and then got reversed. That's it was, you know, the hardest part for me was just walking in the locker room. Cause the kids knew it sure. and they were crying and they, you know, they knew it was over and, you know, you don't overturn calls in high school sports. Um, but you know, oh, yeah. what it is. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you, know, you had the, just that other equally powerful situation you had with the, the, the player and, and being able to, to save that kid. So that's, uh, you have that too. And, and that, that, that's great. And, uh, I know that that would stick with me forever. So yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine that would be one that you shared. That's yeah, that's really great. Um, so I have to ask about this five on two situation. Coach. <laughs> so you brought it up. It's been, it's been uh, rattling there. So let's just, let's just have it. Cause I know the people yeah. listening will be upset with me if I don't ask you about it. So, so we were, <laughs> this was a JV game or sophomore game. And we were, you know, it, was still, it wasn't like we started the game five on two. It was a five, you know, sure. five on five regular game. And uh, they had like seven kids and we had like 10. And they were more talented than us. There's no doubt about that, obviously. Mm -hmm. And we got into, uh, went into overtime with them. And three of their kids had, uh, or four or five of their kids had like four, four fouls. And we fouled out with five fouls. And uh, they fouled out. All right. So we're up. There's like a minute and a half left. I think we're up one or two points. So we're going five on two. So you score, right? What do you do? You don't even have to guard the inbounder, for goodness sake. You just, you just have all five guys following around this guy and, you know, or, or one guy just, you know, shadowing the ball on the inbounder. And this one kid was just juking our, one, our, our four kids. <laughs> and this kid was throwing passes like Tom Brady. And uh, they ended up catching and winning the game. And it was, it was <laughs> Honestly, like that made me question if I should ever coach again, but I always joke around and I know I'm never going to be famous, but I'm like, if I ever get famous, man, that'll be chapter one of my book. So people can understand that it, this thing is not, uh, this journey is not the way you think it's going to be, but you always have to fight through. And, and, you know, like I said, I've had some nice success. I was you know, coach of the year for two years out here in Illinois in our district. And I was, I've uh, been very blessed. So that one moment, I feel like made me better. So, and, and now you can laugh at it now. And now you can look I back. Sure, I sure do. We still, my assistant coaches that I had, we still, you know, send texts. I think I actually sent it to my one buddy the other day. I said, do you remember when we lost five on two? And he just shook his head. That was, that was yeah, it. It's funny. I don't know how you felt during the moment after, but it's good that you can laugh about it now and just sort of say, hey, it happens. So <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so, Coach, to wrap up, I give every guest what I call like a 60-second soapbox. And it's okay if you go longer, too. Uh, it's basically your opportunity to get out your, your final thought, your closing message, just something you want to leave the listeners with. So, Coach, I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor, and you can take it away. Okay, so it's, for me, as much as I've really been disappointed that I've not like, – we have had no contact with our kids mm -hmm. in person in Illinois, in Chicago. I shouldn't say Illinois, but Chicago. And I miss those kids a ton. And we've not been, you know, just through Zoom workouts and Zoom meetings and things like that. But I think the biggest blessing I can take from this is the time that to see my daughter, who's 18 months, grow these past 10 months. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then being able to spend more time with my wife, my mother, you know, my family. Um, to me, that has been really, really a positive thing. And I think the, the toughest thing is always to look, the easiest thing is to always look at the negative parts that are going on right now around our world. Sure. But try to take some positive out because that's what keeps you going. And I, I, listen, I've struggled. There's been times at home where I'm like, I got to get away from these people for a day or two. But it's been the biggest blessing in the world is, uh, is being able to be with my family. And, and like I said, see my daughter grow, which I would not have been able to during a basketball season as much. So um, that's, yeah, that's it. And hopefully we'll get some basketball here in Illinois here. Hopefully by, you know, May or June, I'm really hoping. You and me both. And yeah, I, I really like, I really like that as well. And hopefully, 
you know, as difficult as this whole uh, pandemic and everything was with 2020, hopefully a, a lot of people can can look back and at least have something that they can say, well, at least this allowed me the opportunity to do this or or have this happen and just have some sort of silver lining with it. So I'm glad that you had one as well, because that, that's good. Good to try and remain positive as, as, as tough as it may be sometimes, yeah. especially in this situation. So thank you. And uh, coach, uh, I want to thank you for spending some time. I know we talked about 212. We talked a lot about uh, a lot more than that. So this was great and really informative and I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and, and passion about this. And uh, I hope that you have games to play going forward and I wish you the best of luck. So coach Tucker, coach Tucker, goodness. <laughs> thank you so much for spending some time. Really appreciate it. No, thank you, man. This was an honor. You're doing a great job. I've, I've loved listening to your podcast so far and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing um, you know, the, the next one's coming up, man. I really, like I said, it's a blessing to even be asked things like this. And if there's any way I can expand the game of basketball, I'd love to do it. Appreciate it. And thank you guys so much for listening. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.